Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. This week we're discussing From Blood and Ash by Jennifer L. Armantrout. We will be covering her the books in the series until her newest book is released in a couple of weeks. So we are devoted to this author this month. This is an after dark episode, which means we'll be discussing some mature themes like sex. There will be cursing. So prepare yourself appropriately. I'll start with our important terms, characters, and locations, and then Vicki will pick up with our plot. So let's get this started. There are some important terms that we need to know about uh, before before we dive into this book. So let's start with that. We have the Ascended, which is a group of people who are very long-lived, fast, and strong. They require the use of personal guards for protection. In our story, the Ascended maintain dominion over the, the human populace. Uh, There are cravens, which are humans who have been transformed into cravens once they've been bitten by another craven or by an Atlantean, which I'll mention in a second. Their fingernails lengthen into claws, their canines grow, and they become mindless, bloodthirsty monsters. Their presence is often preceded by a sickness. That brings us to the Atlanteans who are residents of Atlantia. Many moons ago, Atlantia and the kingdom of Solus went to war, which lasted for a very long time and resulted in a lot of death and the fall of the Atlantean kingdom. Atlantia is believed to be responsible for the creation of the Cravens. And then we have dissenters who are a group of mostly human rebels who oppose the ascended and their dominion over the humans and all that that entails. For our main characters and location, so our main character is named Penelope. She's called Poppy by her friends. And she is the maiden. So the maiden is chosen by the gods for what purpose we're not entirely clear on, except that Her ascension on her 19th birthday is tied to the ascension of hundreds of lords and ladies in waiting. Poppy, or Penelope, uh, is the first maiden in a long time. So as a maiden, she's permitted to wear only white and her clothes must cover most of her body. And she has to wear a white veil that covers the upper part of her face and her hair at all times, unless she is in her room. She's not permitted to socialize except with her lady in wait, Tawny. She's not permitted to speak uh, except to a select few and is very limited on what she's able to read and do. Poppy struggles with the confines of her role and finds ways to rebel against it. She has a unique gift that allows her to sense when others are in pain and is able to alleviate their pain, though using her gift gives her headaches. Poppy has a brother named Ian who is an ascended and her parents were killed in a craven attack when she was a child. That brings us to Victor Wardell, who is a member of the Royal Guard and the Maiden's personal guard. He's in his late 30s and a widower. He treats Poppy like his daughter and has trained her to protect herself. 
We have Hawk Flynn, who is a new member of the Royal Guard and who has all the ladies in Macedonia in a stir because he's really, really ridiculously good looking. His reputation as a guard and a warrior are renowned and he and earn him as a spot earn him a spot as Poppy's bodyguard after her other guard, Rylan, is killed. We have Kieran, who is also a guard and is a friend to Hawk. Tawny Lyon, who is a lady in waiting. She's the second daughter of a merchant and she's Poppy's only friend, the only person other than her guards that she's allowed to interact with regularly. We have Prince Castile Denier or the Dark One. He is an Atlantean and heir to the Atlantean Kingdom. He's believed to be the embodiment of evil who wreaks havoc and bloodshed wherever he goes. We have Dorian Tierman, the Duke of Macedonia, who's an ascended royal that presides over Macedonia. He is domineering and cruel. His wife is Jacinda Tierman, the Duchess of Macedonia, who's also an ascended and who's kinder to our main character than the Duke. We have Lord Brandall Mazine, who is companion to Dorian Tierman and who matches him in cruelty. He is a super, super creep. And then we have the queen and king of, Mas or of the kingdom of Solus. So Queen Ileana and King Halara. I mean, they're the rulers of the ascended and the humans in the kingdom of Solus. So our story is set in the kingdom of Solus, specifically, mostly in a town called, or a region called Macedonia, which is where the story starts. Carcedonia, where the king and the queen live, uh, is the capital city. Um, so that, that takes care of most of our important terms, characters, and locations. Vicki, do you want to pick up the plot? Yes, very much so. I love this book. <laughs> okay. Our plot opens with our main character, Poppy, playing cards in the Red Pearl, which is basically a bar sort of brothel place. This wouldn't be too scandalous, except Poppy is the maiden. She has been chosen by the gods to remain pure. She must always wear white, hide her face beneath a veil, and cannot have friends, and certainly cannot go off on her own. Poppy hates that her life is so controlled, and she finds small ways to have some independence, including learning how to defend herself and sneaking out. She is always careful to hide her face, though, and only a select few have seen her whole face. Everyone else can only see her lips and jaw. She has a scar on the left side of her face and has been told her whole life that it makes her ugly, especially by Duke Tierman, who likes to punish Poppy with a cane for any small transgression. While in the Red Pearl, Poppy sees one of her personal guards and father figure, Victor, arrive. Panicked, she goes upstairs into a room only to find it occupied by Hawk Flynn, a rise guard recently transferred from Carcedonia to become a royal guard. He is extremely handsome and has caught the attention of many of the residents of Castle Tierman, including Poppy. Hawk mistakes her for someone else and kisses her, but he gets called away. The next day, Poppy is back at Castle Tierman and speaking with her lady-in-wait slash friend, Tawny. While they are close, Poppy is aware that their friendship isn't organic, and she does not tell Tawny everything that happened at the Red Pearl. Tawny, unlike Poppy, is excited for the ascension. Poppy tries to be supportive, but wonders why she alone seems to lack faith, even though she was chosen by the gods. 
Poppy is searching for something to give her meaning other than being the maiden, which she has found with Victor. They are part of a group that goes to see people bitten by Craven and help ease their passing. One evening, she is walking with her guard, Rylan, and they run into Lord Brandel Mazine. Lord Mazine has bullied and helped the Duke punish Poppy for years. However, even though he is sadistic, he is an ascended and friend of the Duke, which makes Poppy unable to make a stand against him. Luckily, they are interrupted by a scream. Poppy runs toward the sound and sees a dead woman who looks as though she has been drained of her blood with puncture wounds in her neck. When no culprit is found, the Duke decides that it must have been a dissenter, the people who follow Prince Castile, the Dark One. But Poppy and her guardians believe otherwise, since the puncture wounds could only have been made by an Atlantean. Poppy decides to do some research into Atlanteans and discovers that they do indeed have fangs, drink blood, and are basically vampires. Some also have bonded woven. That evening, Rylan and Poppy walk to the gardens to see the night-blooming roses. Unfortunately, the walk is not typical. They find themselves ambushed. Rylan is killed, and a male tries to take Poppy. Thankfully, Poppy is able to defend herself, and she manages to wound him, and he flees. The Duchess comes to talk to Poppy after her, her ordeal and warns her that the Dark One is trying to kidnap or kill her and that Poppy might be summoned to the capital or the Ascension could be moved up. Until then, though, Poppy needs a new guard. Surprise! It's Hawk Flynn, the handsome guard from the Rise, who Poppy kissed in the Red Pearl. While this is exciting, it is also dangerous because Poppy is scared he might recognize her and tell the Duke about the Red Pearl. She decides that she won't speak to him at all in order to avoid recognition, but that doesn't even last a day. Hawk gives no indication that he is aware she is the woman from the Red Pearl, but is casual with the way he interacts with Poppy. He uses her given name, teases her, and he stands up for her when her teacher teachers belittle her. One night, there is an attack on Castle Tierman by the Mist and Craven. Poppy rushes to the rise and helps kill some Craven with a bow and arrow. However, she runs into Hawk, and after a scuffle, she manages to get back to her room. Moments later, Hawk comes in, and they have a revealing talk. He has known she was the woman from the Red Pearl since the beginning. He also reveals that he cares about her and believes her to be a good person. After the attack, the Duke and, du the Duke and Duchess address the citizens. They do not give a calming speech. Instead, they blame the Craven attack on the dissenters. During the speech, Poppy feels overwhelmed with the emotions of the crowd. She's only noticed this once before, when a couple came to the Duke and Duchess to beg for their son's life and were turned down. She believes she is experiencing more emotions like hatred and fear. Her gift seems to be evolving. It is the night of the rite, a celebration, and everyone gets dressed up, including Poppy. However, the night does not go as planned. The dissenters attack. It is a bloodbath. The Duke is pinned to a wall with a cane, and many die, including Victor. Poppy loses her shit and kills Lord Mazin, hacks him to pieces. But she is soon overwhelmed by grief and sequestered away. As expected, the queen requests that Poppy come to the capital so she can be safe until the ascension. She is accompanied by Hawk, a few guards she knows, and a few new guards, including Kieran. At first, the trip goes well. Poppy and Hawk flirt, and he introduces her to orgasms. Kieran seems especially concerned by their close relationship, but when he voices his opinion to Hawk, he is shot down. 
things begin to go poorly the second day. The craven attack, a guard is killed, Poppy's secret about being able to take away pain is revealed, and it starts snowing, forcing them to stop at a keep. Poppy and Hawk end up in bed together, and they finally have sex. The sun brings betrayal, though. Poppy ends up in the clutches of the Dark One, Prince Castile, a few woven, and an entire keep of dissenters. Prince Castile explains to Poppy that the history she has been taught was wrong. Unsurprisingly, it's the Ascendant that are evil. They are the ones who created the Craven, and they keep everything shrouded in mystery. They are the ones who created the Craven, and they keep everything shrouded in mystery to keep the public in check. In order to keep creating Ascendant, they need the blood of an Atlantean. Castile tells her that he was previously kept hostage and tortured by the Ascended for that very reason. His brother saved him, but got caught, and is now being used and abused the same way Castile was. Castile is determined to get his brother back, which is why he needs Poppy, a trade. At this point, Poppy is being kept in a cell and is ambushed by a group of dissenters. They attack her with fists, claws, and daggers. Poppy falls. What happens next? Does Hawk save Poppy? Does Poppy save herself? Is she used as ransom to get Prince Castile's brothers back? You'll need to keep reading or listening to find out. Spoilers ahead. All right. So Vicki, I know you love this book. Why don't you share your opening thought? Sure. I, I love this book. Um, <laughs> Poppy and Hawk's relationship it's just, I love their banter. I love their flirting. I love how strong Poppy is. Oh, well, I should reveal to people who maybe have not read the book. Hawk is Prince Castile. Um, you know, so that's this massive betrayal. There you go. That's the big, spoiler in that the big spoiler. That is the big spoiler. They are one in the same. <laughs> the dark one has been Poppy's guard this whole time. <gasps> Shocking. Yep. So... And I love Poppy from the start. Like, I love that she snuck out. So she goes to the, when she goes to the Red Pearl and has her first interaction with Hawk, mm -hmm. right? She stands like super still, but once he sort of becomes more aggressive with her, she pushes back and is firm in her boundaries. She doesn't actually like end up pushing him off of her because she's like, why am I still laying here? But I kind of like this. Oh, yeah. But she does use like a stern voice being like, you need to get off of me. Like, she's not uh -huh. like sort of whimpering and cowering. She's like, I got this. I know I can protect myself with a knife. Yeah. She's brilliant. She is pretty great. Mm -hmm. What about you? Uh, I really like these books too. Mm -hmm. I had forgotten how much I enjoyed them until I started rereading it. And then I got to the end of this one and immediately had to start the second one, even though I knew what was going to happen. So even on the second reread, drew me right in. I love their banter is just one of my favorite parts in the story. They're so just the flirtiness and the, um, they, they have a really good like back and forth. So I really enjoyed that. I forgot how much introspection there was in this book. Poppy spends a lot of time in her head, which I guess makes sense because she's not allowed to talk to people generally. But on the second read, and it's like, whoa, can we? get out of your head for a second. So I started skipping some, some paragraphs and maybe a couple of pages if I didn't see any dialogue. Yeah. So I much had, introspection. There's a part where she says something about that too. She's like, I spent a whole day wasted away, like on, with like 
introspection and what did she say like the priests would be really happy with me um so I, I think this book just started off so strong with their interaction in the red pearl like mm. everything it just I don't know why she doesn't question him like at all like and there are quite a few references to things like his teeth seem oddly sharp he doesn't fully smile yeah he moves really quickly and silently uh-huh like, come on what does this sound like come on yeah I think it might have just been that she was so pleased at having someone who actually was kind to her and that she felt like she could communicate with and didn't like uh either ignore her or overly revere her for being the maiden but identified her as being like a person and not just this thing that had been chosen. Yes, so. I agree. I do agree with that, especially she makes references to it um, sometimes about um, he cares for who she is yeah. versus what she is. And yes. she feels even with Victor that there's, you know, he cares about her, but not in that way where yeah. he cares about who she is. And when he swears fealty to her mm-hmm. he uses her name yeah oh, not her amazing. not her title mm-hmm. yeah Oof. this is a good moment I mean it, yeah there's no one in her life even her best friend Tawny she can't fully trust like there's no one in her life that is able to or is willing to separate her from this role that she's been chosen to fill except him. So I'm sure with that, I mean, that's probably just kind of jarring anyway to have someone who think, and also she's very attracted to him, which we all know that being attracted to someone can sometimes blind you. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure it's a combination of those factors because she's very smart. She's super clever. She assesses situations for threats because that's how she's been taught. So it's not like, she's not aware of potential threats or anything like that. I think she's just blinded and probably caught up. Yeah. I mean, from their description of the hawk or Cassiel, whatever. Uh, I get it. Yeah. He's a sexy man and he knows he's a sexy man. He's got a big ego. (laughs) There are so many comments about his dimples. We should have done a word search for how many times she mentions dimples in this book. Like, I don't get it. Do you find dimples chart? Like, are you like, ooh, dimples? Yes, honey. No, I mean, I might be like, oh, dimples, but I'm yeah. not like, you know, whoa, dimples. Yeah, I mean, they're they they're fine. I'm not repulsed by them, but I've never looked at someone's face and be like, ooh. <laughs> Your dimples are so sexy. Go. <laughs> this is a thing that happens to your face. Cool. It's nice. I don't know. She's obsessed with them, though. You liked Poppy? Yes. I, I just, I love her for having to be, like, so, you know, they expect her to be so demure and stuff. And she's like, no, fuck you guys. I'm going to learn how to fight. I'm going to get a bow and arrow. And I'm going to kill Craven. She just, I love her spirit. I love her fire. And I love she's, oh, she's just fantastic. Um, she questions 
the ascended and stuff mm-hmm. and nobody else is that's wild mm-hmm. yeah that is so wild like you shouldn't then and they say that several times like you shouldn't question the gods you should just have blind faith in this thing that they're telling you to do and she's like why mm-hmm. it's a good question question everything i feel really bad for poppy in the majority of this book i would say mm-hmm. she just it would be really hard and lonely to not have anyone who you could truly confide in who was actually your friend uh, but also to have your movements and your activities so restricted and she can't talk to people if she's in a room and other people come in the room she has to leave she can't show off her face. She can't interact. She can't read the books that she wants. Like it, it would be a very lonely life to, to live that. And also her name is Penelope, which is definitely something that you would get made fun of in kindergarten for. So I just feel bad for her. And then not only that, she's got all of these rules, but then she also has people preaching to her about how grateful she should be to not be able to do any of this stuff, to not be able to, like Tawny is like, in a few months, you'll be ascended and everything will be great. And Poppy's terrified of ascending. And she's like, but, but like, what a cra- I mean, I just feel like that's some crappy friendship right there. Well, Poppy's ascension, I, I agree. Um, Poppy's ascension is different from Tawny's, right? Yeah. She's not going to be doing the same thing. So Tawny really annoyed me and she was like, oh, you know, you're going to be ascended. And it's like, Tawny, she's not though, not in the same way. Yeah, exactly. It's not the same thing. She And it's not like they know anything about what the ascended is, like the ascension process is. So it's legit to be concerned that this unknown thing is going to happen to you but also she's the maiden even though nobody really knows what that means that she is the maiden except that she was chosen by the gods again whatever that means and so she's got this huge role that she has to fill and doesn't know what that entails yeah i love watching her evolution of um like questioning everything more like about the gods so we start off, she's more, she's very focused on like her freedom and feeling really trapped. And as things start happening, she starts questioning the gods. So mm-hmm. like the Tullus's, Tullus? Tullus. Tullus. Tullus, because it reminded me of Tulip. Yeah. So the Tulluses, right, they show up and they're begging for their son's life. They don't want their son taken from him. Mm-hmm. And the Duke and Duchess are like total assholes about it. And like, no, it's what the gods want. And Poppy starts thinking, like, the gods get so many of them. They can't just spare one. Yeah. And she starts thinking about that and questioning mm. it. I just got so frustrated with him because he has sex with her under false pretenses with false, like, and he knows what a meaningful experience that's going to be for her. Yeah. Because it's something that she's had you know, not had the opportunity to experience and has had to withhold from because of her title up to this point. And so like, we, we know it's going to be a meaningful experience for her. 
and he knows it's going to be because he says, hold on, let me find the quote. He's like, promise me you'll remember this is real. Like next, the next day, the next whatever week. Yeah, whatever happens in the next day, in the next week, remember that this mm-hmm. is real. Yeah. And then later on, he brings that back up and is like, you forgot that it wasn't real or something. Yeah, like, was like how was she so, like, what? You oh, don't get yeah. to pull this card, sir. I know. You don't get to, you know, pull this and say that she forgot. Like, you are still planning to ransom her for the release of your brother who get like who gives a shit if it's real at this point you've betrayed you have betrayed her trust so immensely does it does it even matter if it's real anymore you know it was it's so it was bad enough when she thought that hawk was just like a dissenter and betraying her but then she finds out that hawk is castile which is another huge form of betrayal. And then she's like, she she starts like, what was any of it? I mean, and he says, you forgot that it's real. She's like, what is any of it real? And she starts, the thing that gets me the most, I think, is when she's talking about how he like worshipped her scars. And now she feels like none of it was was honest. None of it was true. He didn't feel any of those things for her. He was just working towards an end goal. Oh, it makes my heart sad for her because that would I mean that's something so sensitive for her even though she's tried not to I guess she's tried to condition herself or she she feels pretty secure in herself now but to display that for someone else and then to be betrayed it's really tough I was so glad when she stabbed him in the heart me too I loved it Mm -hmm. I I like how she apologized but still yeah (laughs) Yeah. I was like, yes, Poppy, go. Yes. It was great. And then she takes off. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was great. Um, it was, yeah, super great. I mean, every time that she fights him, I love that. But yeah, that was a really good moment. And then when Phillips, one of her guards, and, and the other, like when they're in the barn, and Phillips is killed and she realizes like, oh, I've been betrayed. And she like in a fury starts fighting everybody. She cuts that guy, Jericho, who's a raging dick hole. She um, <laughs> attacks Hawk. Like she's just relentless. Like she's outmanned, overpowered, but doesn't stop fighting. I love it. Me too. Um, when she kills Mazine. I mean, yeah. she hacks him into little pieces. It's great. Yes. It is amazing. Yes, it is so good. This is a very gratifying death. I know. This is what we talk about when we say, like, their death wasn't satisfying. Mm-hmm. So last week we were talking about Cruz, right? Mm-hmm. It was a relatively unsatisfying death. This for everything that he put her through was so gratifying. Yeah. Are we bad people? Yes. What? I <laughs> <laughs> sounds like really uh, bloodthirsty, maybe. I don't know. Like, we weren't satisfied last week because it wasn't <laughs> violent enough. But we have this <laughs> in this one, like the main character is doing a Lizzie Borden on this guy. And it's like, yes, it's enough. 
Uh, you're bad people. Ooh, whatever. It's fine. Not very worried about it. Dorian Tierman's death was also very satisfying. Yes, with the cane through and him. The cane through his chest. Yes, okay. I love that. How did she not make a connection there either? I don't know. Uh, oh, that was brilliant. So. Yeah, it was so good. It was very, it was still very hard to read the the section in the book where she's beaten by Tierman and then when Lord Mazine stalks her it was still it was still really hard to read those scenes I thought it would get easier on the second go around but I was still so uncomfortable yeah it made, oh God. it's such a violation it is it, it made me so angry again and this is my third read and again I I had the same feelings of being really uncomfortable, feeling so bad for her, and being so angry at the injustice of it. So Victor's great, but also he's sort of victim-blamey. He is, yeah. Definitely I got that vibe. I was like, what the hell, dude? Yeah. <laughs> because he like definitely acts like she just kind of deserves it. He's like, what did you do? Yeah. Right? like it doesn't and she even says or thinks at least like why should it matter yeah what what does it matter what does it matter yeah it doesn't it wouldn't matter what she did he would find her because he's yeah I got super frustrated with Victor like I started out feeling conflicted and bad because she makes a point like there's not really a whole lot that they can do the consequences for her guards if they stood up for her would be worse but uh, they could do something like hawk does something hawk starts to question things as soon as he becomes her guard and it yeah super victim blaming very frustrating to read because he's a victor's supposed to be her father figure he's supposed to be the one that you know has cared for her and that's how she sees him and he's given her these tools to empower herself but when she shows even a little bit of spine it's like well you can't do that you have to be more careful super it reminds me of the way we talk about people who've experienced any type of assault like well what did you do to deserve this exactly that's what it reminded me of it's like at the right right before everything like goes to shit Mm-hmm. She has this amazing like speech that she yells, I guess, at Victor. Yeah. Oh, it made me so like my heart hurt for her. Yeah. Because like she's been suffering this for her well, not her whole life. Like how long how old was she? I mean, since she was a child. Yeah, so since she was a child, but she's been suffering for like a decade at least. The majority of her life. The majority of her life. Right. And it finally all comes to this like standoff kind of with Victor at this point where she says, um, what does she say? Oh, is it no wonder I want to be found unworthy? Yeah. Yes. And I just, I love that, that speech that she gives saying, oh, well, I have to do this. You know, I can never show my face. I can yeah. never talk to anybody. Why should I want this? Yeah. Oh, no- I'm getting like. <laughs> yeah. Are you getting hot? 
I mean, yeah, she's like, I have no rights. The things that are just things that other people are able to do are like the, the biggest privilege for me. If I'm at like, she can't do anything. She can't go anywhere. She can't go her face. Like, why would, why is that an honor? Why, why are they acting like this is an honor? She is literally beaten for no reason. And everyone knows it. No one does it. Like, why is that an honor? Oh, I got so frustrated at the right. So it's the only, the only right that she's been able to go to. This is a big deal. Like she doesn't get to socialize. She gets to wear a pretty dress. Like they do her hair and makeup. She can actually show her face, I think. And yeah. And Jacinda Tierman, the Duchess walks up to her and it's like, remember you can't socialize or mingle. Like what the hell is the point of going then? What? Like I can, I can dress up and not talk to people and not look at people and not like, what is the, what's the point of being special if you can't do anything special? Yep. And she doesn't stay long. No. She lets Tawny, she's like, Tawny, you know, go have fun. And she's like, well, take me back to my room. And Hawk's like, how about I take you under the willow tree? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so Going there. under the tree. <laughs> Yes, honey. Let's talk about sticks. <laughs> yeah, that's what they were doing. Uh, the romantic scenes, I guess, or they're just like sexual tension scenes, like the one under the willow tree. Mm-hmm. They're so good. Like they the are really good. Between mm-hmm. like when Hawk's talking to her, or Castile. I'm gonna have the next episode. We're gonna be be able to say Castile, but he's still Hawk yeah. right now. Yeah. I like, I appreciate that we get some nipple action in the third chapter. Oh yeah. Like right off the bat. Yes. I like it when we just dive right into that stuff. We don't get anything for like 150 pages, but (laughs) (laughs) if we start off with something like that is promising. So that was, that was a good touch. I appreciated that. Gave me hope. Yeah. Well, and then the next like sexual thing that happens is when they're in the forest at this point now they're go they're going to the capital but mm-hmm. not actually going to the capital yeah. and she's stressed and so he like he doesn't finger her or anything like it's all over her clothes like mm-hmm. everything's over the clothes and it's still pretty hot yeah it's like yes how is this like all right like, i love things like that yeah like I like the penetrative scenes, but I also really appreciate the non non penetrative interactions. Those are nice. They are. I mean, it's kind of like a tease, which is very exciting. But I don't know. I love it. Yeah. Well, it's well written. He he does talk about how her uh, when he he goes down on her, she tastes like honeydew, which I think is very bizarre yeah if you take there's there's something not quite right if you taste like honeydew yeah i it shouldn't have such a distinctive flavor i guess yeah that's just a that's a little bit of a kind of like a pineapple yeah a little Mm. bit concerning yeah when they do finally have sex it's a super great scene Mm mm-hmm there's lots of foreplay. Love that. 
all the foreplay. It's necessary. Do it. And they, they spend a good amount of time on that. And so I appreciate that. There's lots of open discussion, which is important, especially first episode with penetration. So yeah, I think she's just very talented at writing sex scenes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure that that, that takes skill. Writing sex scenes? Well, yeah. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, because we end up with, I mean, ropes of cum. <laughs> right? Stop it. And okay, and I know that was in Buttception, but I have read that in other books. Blech. Right? Uh. And calling, like, it cream. Blech. Stop it. <laughs> Stop saying these words no <laughs> i don't like what? it i like that there's clitoral stimulation with this i appreciate it that there's not clit i we've talked about this before i think but like 80 percent of women require clitoral stimulation to climax and so i like that that's included here yes there's a lot of times when we've read um, her, when I've read, you know, books with romantic scenes and like the woman magically comes from penetration alone. It's like, this is not, this is not accurate for the majority of women. So I appreciate the clitoral stimulation. Mm-hmm. Well, that was one of the things that made like their first sexual interaction. So kind of hot mm-hmm. was that it was all clitoral stimulation. Mm-hmm. That's all it was. Yeah. For the Ascended to have such a big role in the story, we don't find like we don't find out a whole bunch of information about them, which to me is kind of frustrating. Like I want as much information as possible. Even though we do learn more, there's still some things that's like, uh how how many are there? Like we know there's the Duke and the Duchess. We eventually find out that there are others, but like What's the, what's the ratio in the population? Like, I just don't, I don't know. I wish there had been more information about them. Yeah, there were a couple things that I wish had been expanded on more that were a little confusing. Like, the right? Yeah. I, I feel they, mm, so the right isn't the ascension, it's separate. Yeah. But it's when, like, third sons and daughters, like, or given up or get their like I wasn't sure what the right was exactly yeah did you no okay yeah no I don't I didn't what happens to the so the the third children become food right third and beyond become food the second children become ascended what happens to the first children Uh, I don't know. Wait, no, I, oh yeah, no, I heard the things from, I don't know. I guess the first children get to stay children? Maybe? I mean, like, you know, get to grow up normally? Yeah. I guess, maybe? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Either. So there was some confusion there. I would love to know, and she is writing, I believe, a book about the gods, but I would love to know more lore about their gods. We get references mm-hmm. to them and sort of like what they are, you know, like, right. oh, this is the god of whatever. But I would like more 
the like mythology behind it especially because everyone is so certain that these gods are real and that the ascended have a direct connection to god or mm-hmm. gods like where does that come from why do they think that you know i i just like more of how they kind of i don't want to say so easily bought into it but you know how they're so certain of that mm-hmm. what's you know yeah the blind faith yeah why does nobody question like the, the the roles of power, the hierarchy here? You know, the dissenters are questioning that. It's just when when I was reading this book, it just reminded me of like how easily people are being manip- are able to be manipulated. Like we have the humans who are ruled by the ascended, who they actually know like very little information about, mm-hmm. and who literally take their children and they never see them again. And so they've scared them into submission with like public executions and used religion as a smoke screen and manipulated them into not trusting their neighbors because their neighbors will betray them one or to turn over their neighbors. So there's no trust between them. Uh, And they've just, uh, Poppy talks about that a little bit at some point, but it's just, it shocks me how easily manipulated these characters are. And we saw that, like, I guess this is just like a common trope maybe because you see that in the Red Queen too. Like the the manipulation, they control like their electricity, their resources. They take the people who are working as their guards, the huntsmen or whatever, whose job it is, is to protect the kingdom. And when they're attacked by the craven and turned into monsters, they publicly execute them and burn them or burn them alive nobody's questioning these things except the dissenters you get to see hawk pushing poppy a little bit which i enjoyed because she already had some of these beliefs you know like Mm -hmm. wavering a little bit but one part that stuck out to me was when hawk is talking to poppy and is saying well why can't they just see even one of their kids right we're just getting you know Nobody's actually seeing these children that they're saying are alive and in the temple or, you know, whatever. And um, Poppy kind of has a moment of like, oh, that's a, yeah, what would it hurt Mm -hmm. to just be allowed to see them? But Hawk has to really um, toe this fine line between pushing her to see things without revealing that he's Castile, you know? Yeah. and I, I think it was really, I, I was probably really hard for him, especially because he sees Poppy being so close to like a breakthrough kind of, so mm-hmm. shrugging off all of that. Um, I, I think that was probably something difficult for him. I'm sure that's frustrating for him at the end when he does tell her the truth, like everything that she's believed up to this point has been fiction. The Ascended are the ones that created the Craven really you know, all of that stuff. When he's seen her start to question things and in the end, he tells her everything and she's like, no, this is a lie. His timing was not good. I think that if he had tried to reveal those things before he had, you know, completely, I don't know, betrayed her <laughs> trust, uh, that she might've received that a little bit better. Yeah. 
<laughs> His uh, timing was really bad. He could have told I he could have told her I you know before all of that. Yeah, I definitely agree. His timing was very bad. What do you think about so we see like the the sacrificial virgin trope in this book with Poppy? She's not, I mean, she's not particularly she doesn't feel particularly strongly strongly about being or not being a virgin or being pure quote-unquote pure whatever but it's just she doesn't really have any opportunities to pursue anything otherwise and there's the fear of being rejected as a maiden if she I don't know violates her maidenhood so um what do you think about about that in this situation um so I feel for her because she wants to experience it. She wants to experience pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's had this like weight on her. Of, oh, don't do anything too bad or the gods will find you unworthy and you'll be exiled. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel that's just sad, you know, yeah. to be so constricted by that. And especially with something like guilt, mm-hmm. you know, using guilt to do it. What are your thoughts? I think that her perspective on uh, like purity and uh, fearing the gods reflective of like the purity culture that's preached by some religions. So saving your, not that there's anything wrong with not having sex until you're married. If you want to do that, that's fine. But I don't agree with the idea that if you choose not to do that, that you will be punished by God or you get like, if something negative happens to you, then you get what you have coming to you or, and I feel like that's the thing that gets pushed a lot in that, that idea, that purity culture. Like if you, if you do this, then this is what's going to happen. You'll be um, punished or people will think poorly of you or, and there, Poppy has a really good quote in here. She says, she's talking about the people in the that work in the keep at Macedonia who the girls who talk she she says there were many things a woman could do that brought pleasure while retaining their purity purity I hated that word the meaning behind it as if my virginity determined my goodness my innocence and its presence or lack thereof was somehow more important than the hundreds of choices I made every day I feel like, especially in the South where I live, purity culture is really pushed and it can be super toxic. And I see that in how people talk about sex and masturbation and the way that that can contribute to like a physical manifestation uh, in terms of like the development of pelvic pain, because people are literally afraid to have sex there. They, you know, in, in that purity culture, they push like, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. And then suddenly it's time for you to have sex. And it's like, up until this point, I was going straight to hell if I had sex. So being able to, to adjust to that shift, it's, it's hard. And I think that bodies are meant to be celebrated. And I think that Poppy sees this too. It's, you know, you're, you're worth more than what's between your legs. And whether or not you're still a virgin doesn't say anything regarding your personality and your worth and your character. So I like that she's 
even though she's forced into this, she's making or she has this realization that just because I have this does not mean it has anything to do with the hundreds of other things that make up who I am. Uh, Victor's death was really sad. It was. Right before he, he dies, they have that big blow up where he, she asks, like, why would I want to be found worthy when I don't have even basic rights? They have this big fight. And then very shortly after, he is killed. And it's it's just so sad. I love that she got to speak that that truth to him, that she got to share those feelings with him. Me too. I enjoyed that they had that moment to say goodbye because so many times in books, we really don't get that. Mm-hmm. In books or movies or even in real life, there's no chance to get like those kind of final words, especially when people tr- die traumatic, like in traumatic situations like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she knows that he's not angry at her and he wants her forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, he's asking for her forgiveness. So I think that helps alleviate some guilt. Like, I mean, obviously she still feels guilty, but at the same time, she has this assurance that, you know, he doesn't actually, wouldn't actually blame her sort of right. thing, which I think is, yeah, I thought it was somewhat refreshing that they got to have those final moments mm-hmm. like that versus what, what we tend to get in books um, yeah. a lot of times where they die without being able to say anything. Right. It's just an abrupt death. Yeah. It gets me. It gutted me when he apologized and asked for her forgiveness for failing her as a man and not protecting her from Duke Tierman. I felt like it was good that he was asking for forgiveness. Like, I know she's like, there's nothing to forgive or whatever. I forgive you. Right. But he did fail her. He did fail her. I, I like Ugh. that in the end, he's recognizing that he's, he's asking for forgiveness. He recognizes that he should have done more for yeah. the person that he treated like his daughter and viewed as a child, like one of his, like his kid, he should have done more to protect her. Castile's <laughs> motivations are really confusing at the end of this book. Cause it's like. He has sex with Poppy under false pretenses, which he knows is going to hurt her. And then he's like, I'm going to use you for ransom. Okay. So he betrayed her. He's going to ransom her for, but then he's like, but you forgot it was real. It's like, wait a minute. So are you like, what do you want her or not? Are you just using her or, and then he's like, but I'm still going to ransom you. He's like, okay, so you want her, mm, but you don't. And then he's like, we're getting married. Like, what? His, his motivations are really confusing. <laughs> like, I don't understand what, what do you, what do you want, man? Yeah. Well, his he, people feel the same way too. Cause they're like, uh, I thought we were going to use her to, <laughs> to save your brother. He's like, don't ask me questions. <laughs> found out she was part Atlantean and was like this is the perfect excuse to keep her with me this changes everything (laughs) before I tasted your blood and I thought you were just human I was gonna fork you over but now I know you might be valuable so you're special enough for me to keep like okay that makes you kind of a dick 
<laughs> I, I do love how Poppy thinks that, though. Like, er, a little bit earlier, she's like, you're just going to hand me back over to these people. You're going to tell me the truth, and then you're going to hand me back over to them. Yeah. With now me knowing this truth about them. And he was like, eh. Yeah. Well, pretty shitty. <laughs> And then he, she stabs him in the heart. And it's great. He's lucky all she did was stab him in the heart. I mean, she could have cut his dick off, which is probably what I would have done based on what he did. And then that makes me wonder, is he, with his magic Atlantean blood, able to regrow a dick? Because that guy got his hand cut off and it didn't grow back. He was a wolven, wasn't he? Well, I don't know. He's still got magic blood, doesn't he? I guess. I don't know. I'm just thinking... He took, a, he took a pretty big risk there. How did you feel after Poppy gets attacked by Jericho and Mr. Tulis and all of those other people and Hawk murders them and stakes their bodies to the wall? I, I loved it. Um, yeah, it's super metal. Yeah, that's like our term. This It week. is for this one. I don't know what it is. It's something about it. I mean, it's like amazing. Like, I would be equal parts horrified and intrigued if someone murdered my enemies and staked their bodies to the wall. I know. And he was keeping Jericho alive. Yeah. Too, to make him suffer. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. I I would be wooed. (laughs) (laughs) I think I would feel conflicted. Like, I'm aroused, but concerned. Maybe concerned about the arousal. (laughs) Why does this turn me on? And do I need therapy? I would pretend to be like, I'd be like, oh no, that's so awful. And then I'd be like, yes, suffer. Yeah. Well, in the end, he, well, at the end of the book, he's asking her like how she feels about it. And she's like, I know I should feel sympathy for these people. But they wanted me to die in pain and suffer and they don't know me and I've never met them before. And so I don't feel bad at all. He's like, then you shouldn't. Agreed. Yeah. She shouldn't. They're awful. Mm-hmm. They had it coming. They really did though. They did. Especially Jericho. Gosh, I hated him so much. I know. Ugh. What a creep. He shows up that first time and he's like, be a good little maiden and follow me. Like, dude. No. No. And I love that she just stabs him right from the beginning, too. Uh-huh. I like how awesome. she keeps antagonizing him as well. He's like, oh, see, you lost your hand. He's like, do you remember what I said to you? He's like, yeah, I'm going to rip at my entrails. Like, even in the, like, even as, like, she's outnumbered and he's obviously going to attack her, she's still antagonizing him. Mm-hmm. You can't keep our girl down. You're like Chumba Wumba over here. <laughs> You're never gonna keep her down. Yeah. She's great. Uh, let's talk about our quotable quotes. Marissa, what is yours? Okay. So I enjoyed the quote. Some truths do nothing but destroy and decay what they do not obliterate. Truths do not always set one free. Uh, Jacinda Tierman says this and I really like it as a quote I don't like this character because she's kind of awful and is complicit in Poppy's abuse but I like the statement that she makes because I think that generally I do think that it's important to be honest and truthful but 
the way that you use the truth, uh, the truth can be wielded to harm people. And that's, I like that it, this kind of resonates with that. Um, truth, the truth is not always going to be a thing that that is liberating or helpful. Sometimes it is better to be conditionally honest, maybe. I don't know. That sounds bad. I just, it reminded me of um, how we can use words of honesty to harm other people. Um, and I think that, that that's that's the point that I wanted to make with that. The truth is not always a liberating thing. So what about you? What were your favorite quotes? Uh, funnily enough, I also picked a quote by the Duchess, um, despite the fact that I also did not like her, um, which is kind of <laughs> funny. But so I picked, um, do yourself a favor. Do not waste another moment thinking of either of them. I know I will not. And so she's saying that about, um, she's saying that about Lord Mazine and the uh, Duke. And so I, I don't like, I don't like her as a person. Like you said, she's complicit in what's happening to Poppy. But there's also this moment of solidarity kind of there because Poppy mm -hmm. has a realization of, well, if he was doing this to me, who knows what he was doing to her? Like, right. he, he's never seen them show any sort of affection towards each other or really touch each other outside of any sort of required ceremony. Um, and I also just kind of love the idea of just these people are out of your life. Don't think about them anymore. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. So I like the quote. I don't like the, the character. <laughs> right. But that's interesting. We both picked <laughs> quotes from a character we don't care about, we don't like. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, adding on to sort of what you were saying about some truths do nothing but destroy. I think sometimes truths when they can be used to make one person feel better, like to alleviate their guilty conscience, mm -hmm. right? You have to be cautious with the words that you use because then you have to look at your motivations. Like, am I saying this thing to help you or to help me, but it will harm you? Do you have any final thoughts on this book? I'm so excited for the third one to come out. Dude, me too. I have been waiting since September. <laughs> Like, oh, I just wanted it to come out already. Um, but we got 10 days left. 10 days and it's here. Yes. So I, I love the series. I love these characters so much. Uh, I guess those are my final thoughts. I'm super excited for the third one. And I just love, love these characters. Love Castile and Bobby. What about you? Yeah, I'm also excited about it. Um, the third one too. But I'm excited to talk about the second one next week because... Like it was, it's a really good book. Like I jumped, even having read this one before, I jumped straight into the second one after, after finishing the first one, even knowing what was going to happen. So uh, they're, they're, they're such great books. I really enjoy them. I'm excited to talk about this one. And then the third one the week after that. So, yes. Yeah. I, the next one has some really great scenes with Karen. So <laughs> good. Yeah. It's and it's, there's so much that happens in the next book too. So action-packed it really is all right that is a wrap on from blood nash next week we will be talking about kingdom of flesh and fire uh the sequel uh by jennifer armitrout thank you for listening
Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.